CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Downey here. We've got all hands on deck today as we get ready for Big Ten opener. Penn State takes the road uh, to take on Illinois. Noon kickoff Eastern time, 11 a.m. local in Champaign. And we had a nice conversation on our last episode of this podcast, which dropped on Tuesday with Jeremy Werner, who, who does uh, is the insider for us at 24-7 Sports for Illinois. Uh, spent 20 minutes or so breaking down what Penn State's looking at in this matchup. Not exactly the fighting Illini who started last season seven and one, finished with an eight win season. Uh, a little slow out of the gates, especially defensively with the new coordinator on that side of the ball. So, we're going to talk a lot of Penn State perspective heading into the matchup on this episode. If you want to get more of a lowdown on what Illinois is bringing to the field on Saturday, I suggest not skipping over that Tuesday episode with Jeremy. He was very detailed in his analysis. And uh, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon will join me in just a bit. We were out of the Penn State practice field on Wednesday evening for our final look at the Nittany. Lions here on game week number three. We'll get a chance to, to pick their brains a little bit about what they saw and heard after practice. And we'll also give you our predictions and players to watch. But we begin with recruiting conversation. And, you know, there was some big news to drop if we're going to do that here on a preview episode. And there was indeed some significant news for the Nittany Lions on the recruiting trail. They lost their top commit in the 2025 recruiting class. Jalen Matthews, a top 100 offensive tackle out of the state of New Jersey, had been committed for some time. And we're going to bring in Tyler Calvaruso right now to break that down and a lot more specifically on the offensive line it's been a busy week uh but tyler we have to start with the fact that Jalen matthews who uh was the crown jewel of this class initially for 2025 and certainly a guy you'd love to grow around um has decided to reopen his recruitment yeah and really not a whole lot of surprise behind that decision you know no one inside of lash was surprised when Jalen matthews made the call to back off his commitment and reopen his recruitment it's really just an instance of a kid who probably ended his process too early. You know, I think when he committed coming out of that junior day visit in January, there was just a general feeling that it was never really done because he wanted to continue. He wanted to continue making visits and checking out other campuses. And that was really just the driving force behind all this. You know, a guy who wanted to get out and make additional visits and being committed to Penn State right now was not the best fit for him. That's really what it came down to. I know everyone wants to talk about NIL and, you know, what kind of a role did that play in the decision? And look, you know, let's not bury our head in the sand. NIL factors into every recruitment to at least some extent nowadays. You know, it comes up in every conversation. But if NIL never even existed, if college football players not make a penny, this was just one of those things that was going to happen because it was a premature commitment. And now Matthews is back exploring his options. And, hey, look, Penn State is still in the mix. Jalen Matthews told Brian Doan as much. So the Nittany Lions might not necessarily be dead here. But I think he's taken a step back, reevaluating all of his options, and now he's going to go from there. I do want to ask you, Tyler, you had a chance to go face-to-face with Matthews last month on a high school football field following an August scrimmage. He's not a guy who's done a lot of interviews, a lot of media, uh, but we had been sensing for a while that there was uh, – and 
I guess, a yearning for him to expand his recruiting horizons beyond just being a guy who's committed and the only campus he's going to see is the one he's committed to. What kind of resonates with you now that you heard during that conversation a month ago? I think the main thing that stands out to me is, first of all, Jim was always very transparent about where he was at in this process. You know, he was never selling one thing and then going and telling other people another. He was always very transparent about his thought process and his mindset and where he was at with his Penn State commitment. And while being committed to Penn State, the fact that he was still open to other opportunities and seeking other opportunities and checking out other college campuses. He was very consistent throughout that process. And I think that's something that Penn State picked up on as well. The fact that I said that this wasn't really a surprise, it, it kind of shows that everyone was on the same page. And Matthews does have a good relationship with Phil Trawin and James Franklin. So those lines of communications, they, they've all they've been consistent throughout. So everyone knew what was going on. Everyone knew where Matthews' head was at. And, I mean, now where we are now, it's not a reflection of a bad relationship with Penn State or anything like that. And when it goes beyond – Penn State and what might be next for Matthews. I got the sense that Georgia was probably Penn State's biggest competition, and I, the 24-7 sports crystal ball now reflects that the Bulldogs are the favorite to land him. He's going to get out and take a bunch of regional visits, which is interesting. Rutgers, Boston College, Connecticut are all programs he mentioned checking out when he caught up with Brian Dome on, I believe it was did Tuesday night. That's when this happened. That's when those who got the chance to talk. So, you know, there are a lot of not necessarily new suitors involved with Matthews. He, he's had a pretty big offer list for a while now. Granted, he does have more opportunities now than he did at the time he committed to Penn State. There are a lot of other schools that are more seriously involved now than at during last winter. So that's a new element of his recruitment. But at the same time, a lot of these schools have been on his radar for a while. He's going to make these visits. You know, we'll see if he makes it back. For the whiteout at this point, that was something he mentioned to me when I got the chance to catch up to him that he said he was planning on visiting for the whiteout. Now, he said that as a Penn State commit, the circumstances are now obviously very much different. So we're going to have to see if that visit winds up taking place. Yeah, it's something to monitor. He's, he's a guy who's within your region. So it's not like uh, you know, you got a Florida kid who's never going to be around the area again, and he's just decommitted and you're kind of cutting ties there. And we've talked about this before. Penn State staff has has cycle by cycle done a really nice job of kind of managing these relationships even when they go uh, off track even when maybe the commitment falls apart uh, if it's a guy that they want and they value and they want to leave that door open uh, they do a pretty good job of not burning bridges some college staffs react with emotion and it puts them in hot water and and, and it can sever ties with the recruit pretty quickly but uh, you know penn state phil troutwine and expect if, if Jayla matthews wants to circle back over the next course of uh, of months i think there's certainly going to be an opportunity for that conversation to continue for a top 100 player that we think very highly of as an offensive tackle prospect and We'll see what's next for Matthews, but what do you see being next for the Nittany Lions? This is obviously the early portions of high school junior seasons that we're talking about with Matthews in the 2025 class. But uh, you wrote a bit about this uh, for our VIP subscribers at Lions247.com coming off of the Matthews D commitment about really what's next in, in the search for Phil Trattwan. Yeah, and it's still really early in that 2025 tackle board is still coming together. So Penn State has plenty of time to come back from this and, you know, get back to work on putting together a quality 2025 haul on the offensive line. There are a couple of names standing out right now. One is Owen Alessini from Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. He was at Lash Bash. He was at the season opener. He participated in the mini camp before Lash Bash and really impressed the staff with his performance that day. I think he kind of opened some eyes if some eyes weren't open already. And he's 
the guy who has Penn State very high on his list. So he's a name I would keep an eye on moving forward. Will Black, the Canada native, who's now playing ball in Connecticut. He's been at Penn State, another guy to keep an eye on. It's seeming like Michigan. You see, the thing with Will Black and his recruitment is because he plays at a program that plays exclusively on Saturdays. So his opportunities to take fall visits are very, very limited. And the one fall visit that he told 24-7 Sports he's going to be able to take is to Michigan this upcoming season. So not a whole lot of opportunity for him to get back to Penn State to get to Beaver Stadium and take in a game day atmosphere. But with that being said, he was around for last batch and got to know the staff a lot better that day, felt the family atmosphere surrounding the program. He's another name to know. I just mentioned Michigan. They're heavily involved. Notre Dame's involved as well. So I'm zoned in on those three teams as the main contenders for Will Black right now. I mean, Owen Strebig, he's another. He plays with uh, Corey Smith and Donovan Harbor up at Catholic Memorial. He's an elite tackle prospect in 2025. He's got Notre Dame high on his list. Seems like the Fighting Irish are in the lead there. So I think there are a lot of guys who are still sorting through their options, you know, establishing who their top suitors are and kind of going from there. If you look through the 2025 tackles Penn State has offered and guys they are involved with, it seems like the majority of those guys are still pretty wide open and figuring things out. But Black and Alessina are the two that I'm keeping the closest eye on right now, I would say. Next week, we might be having a different conversation. In the following months, we will definitely be having a different conversation adding more names to that list as the board continues to evolve. And Black and Alicina uh, up there in Connecticut at the at the prep programs and 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 Penn State has had success uh, tapping into that area on the recruiting trail and uh, Strebig as you mentioned uh, going to be bowling out this year with a couple of commits uh, there in the 2024 class at Catholic Memorial in Wisconsin. What what do these guys have in common? Well, they're all listed six seven plus at 247sports.com uh, early in their junior season. So. Uh, a lot to like about those early prospect profiles. We've seen some some hype being prioritized by Penn State in the 2024 class, and that's where I want to land next with you, Tyler. We've seen a couple fresh offers, and, and whenever you see offers go out in the fall during senior seasons, while we're starting to get a little closer to signing period, you pay attention, and both of them coming on the offensive front, break them down individually for us. Yeah, you definitely pay attention. And, you know, with that being said, I mean, just because an offer goes out doesn't mean Penn State is going to pursue. Sometimes, you know, you put an offer out and you kind of monitor the senior year film from there. But with these two offers, I don't think that's the case. I think we're talking about two prospects that Penn State is going to be involved with moving forward. The first of which is top 24-7 interior line commit A.J. Dennis. He's committed to Michigan State and you know, we touched earlier in the week about what's going on in East Lansing with Mel Tucker suspended and the impact that that could have on Nick Marsh, another top Penn State target who's committed to the Spartans. And we talked about how the feedback was indicating Marsh wasn't going to be in a rush to move away from his Michigan State commitment or make a rash decision based on what was going on there. And I think you could put Dennis into that same category. And quite frankly, I think he's in an even stronger place when it comes to his commitment with the Spartans. You got to keep in mind that Dennis has been a leader in Michigan State's 2024 class. He's played a really big part in that class coming together. And he's got good relationships that go beyond just the head coach. He's got good relationships with the position coaches at Michigan State. He's got good relationships with current players at this point. So when you think about all of that and take all of that into account, that's not really the profile of a prospect who's going to jump ship at the first sign of trouble and is going to jump ship based on what is going on at Michigan State right now. Now, I got the chance to catch up with him last night, 
And he indicated that he is indeed interested in visiting Penn State. He made it to campus during the spring for a visit. That visit took place in the middle of March. About less than a month later, Michigan State offered, and that was pretty much all she wrote for the Michigan State native. He called it a dream offer at the time, so he jumped at that opportunity once that offer rolled in. But he indicated that he is interested in making it to State College to check out a game inside Beaver Stadium. That game day atmosphere is something that he really wants to take in after being impressed with the energy of Penn State's program during spring practice. And he's got another guy who has a good relationship with Phil Trowin. So I think we're just going to have to monitor this one and see where it goes. When it comes to Dennis as a prospect, for those who might not be necessarily familiar with him, you know, he's kind of a blip on the radar given the way his recruitment played out the first time around. He has been one of the bigger risers in the 2024 class, specifically on the offensive line. When Penn State hosted him in March, he was nowhere near the top 24-7. Now he's comfortably ranked inside the top 24-7 at 194 overall. He's a top 10 interior lineman in the nation. So this is a high-caliber prospect. There's no doubt about that. And this is a guy that Penn State would like to welcome into the mix. The other 2024 offer that went out, and quite frankly, this is a less realistic pull for Penn State at this point in the cycle. It's an international prospect. He plays his ball at the NFL Academy in London. It's Daniel Akinkumi. I believe I got that right. I hope that I sounded that. damn good to me. Well done. Listen, hey, man, if it comes out smooth, you know, you got to have some confidence with it. But he's set to announce his commitment on October 12th. And Penn State just offered on Tuesday. All signs are pointing towards Oklahoma right now. Sooners are profiling to be in a pretty good spot with him. And he's a really good prospect. You put on the film, there's definitely a lot of intrigue there. I just think this is an instance where Penn State was probably a little bit too late to the party. That happens sometimes. You know, he was he's another guy who's kind of a little bit more of a late riser. He was he hasn't been on the radar for I would say a long time in the 2024 cycle. So he's coming on strong as of late. Penn State just offered, but given his timeline, unless there is a change made to that timeline, you know, if he decides to push things back, take a little bit more time with his decision, maybe that gives Penn State a window to get a little bit more involved firmly with Troutwin leading the way. But I think this is probably just going to be an Oklahoma win in this recruitment. Can we go back to, to Andrew Dennis real yeah. quick? Because you did speak with him, and, and I, I just think there's a few interesting things to note there. And if you're that firm and you've been a, a catalyst for a recruiting class, you're obviously going to be the last one, one of the last guys to kind of jump mm-hmm. off ship, right? Um, others others will do that first. And you mentioned the tight relationships with, with position coaches. I just wonder what's going to be left in East Lansing come January yeah. uh, from what's familiar with him. And that, that probably includes some of those players. When you have coach turnover in college football now, that often immediately impacts the roster with the transfer portal. So I think a lot of the famili- familiarity that Andrew Dennis may have established with Michigan State, why it feels like home to him still, I just wonder how much of that will still be in place by the time that early signing period rolls around in December. And if he does make it to campus along the way, I'm just going to tell you, very different environment to encounter on, on a college football campus right now here in Happy Valley. What's going on here versus East Lansing when he gets back into that stadium and how that season has gone just a couple weeks in. So if he's picking up those vibes, I think the door could open here. But like you said, uh, he, he's a prioritized prospect for them for a long time for a reason. He's reciprocated that by being a, a, a you know, a very loyal commit. And, and that was kind of uh uh, came through in your article about him, but but it seems to me like this is one to monitor and see how the situation looks within a couple weeks. And 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 I just want to look ahead to that whiteout game because we have a lot of visitors confirmed now at lines247.com. We have a big week of coverage uh, coming up as those names continue to add up. 
but one we can get to. Brian Doan has a story up at lines247.com. Ernest Willer, a top 100 defensive lineman, a guy who's had an offer for a long time for the Nittany Lions. What do we make of this development and his presence on campus? You know, his recruitment has been one of the more interesting ones throughout this cycle. You know, I mean, just first of all, look where he's at in the rankings. You know, he's definitely a top tier prospect and he's been dominant on the gridiron since returning to his home state of Maryland. He's over at Concordia Prep now after spending his junior year at IMG Academy. And he has been doing a really, really good job of reminding everyone just how good of a prospect he is and just how high his ceiling might be. You know, he didn't make a lot of visits early in his recruitment. He didn't make any visits during the spring. He wasn't active on the camp circuit. And I think that kind of gave some programs a little bit of pause in their evaluation. You know, where is he at in his development? And I think that was kind of the reason why things are kind of starting to take off for him now, despite being a top 100 recruit. You know, you think of a top 100 recruit and you think all the evaluations are surefire and he's going to be far along in his process at this point. But there have been a lot of variables in Willard's recruitment and what I just mentioned about him not being active on the camp circuit, him not making many visits. You know, he's still learning a lot about the programs involved in his recruitment. I think the programs involved in his recruitment are still learning a lot about him. So it goes both ways. And Penn State's going to get its chance to do that when he visits for the whiteout. Now, they are plenty familiar with him. He has visited in the past. Penn State is one of the places he has checked out. So there's familiarity with the staff. And the feedback that I've received is indicated that he's pretty high on the Nittany Lions. I think it's more a matter of what direction Penn State wants to go in. This is going to be an unofficial visit coming up. So, you know, potentially maybe the door remains open for an official visit in December once the regular season wraps up. You know, we saw Penn State seal the deal with a pair of defensive linemen late last cycle and Joseph Mupoy and Mason Robinson. Both of those guys took December official visits. Maybe Willer winds up falling into that category. I think we're going to have to see how this whiteout visit plays out before getting to that. But the fact that he is making it back to campus and the intel indicating that Penn State is a program that he's taking a very, very long look at, I think this makes this recruitment more one to monitor moving forward. I think things are starting to get a little bit more interesting compared to where they were during the spring and summer. Yeah, right now it's not a very deep list of, of viable targets that are still on that 2024 board. We just mentioned a couple of new ones on the offensive line. Here's one to monitor. He's coming up for the whiteout. The whiteout tends to do interesting things to prospects when the night goes right for Penn State. So the number 86 prospect in 24-7 sports rankings, the number 15 defensive lineman is Ernest Willer at a Concordia prep down in Townsend, Maryland. Hey, we're going to shift gears. We're going to have Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon help me break down the, between Penn State and Illinois. Before we do that, what can folks look ahead to between now and whiteout kickoff from a recruiting perspective? Well, that whiteout visitors list is definitely going to keep on growing. There's going to be a lot of di- a lot of additions between now and the beginning of next weekend, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And, you know, just the typical feedback, you know, coaches hitting out on the road, checking out prospects, where those guys are going to be. We're going to have that feedback on how high school the commits are performing. We're going to have that as, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. There are games across the nation, and Penn State's commits are going to be in action. So, as always, we've got a lot going on between recruiting and the game day coverage. It's a busy time for us, but it's it's exactly how we want it. And you're on the road this weekend? You're on the road yep. Friday? Yep. St. Joe's Prep got tomorrow night. St. Joe's Prep, Don Bosco. I mean, yes. that's one of the best high school football games you'll find any Friday night in America this fall. Glad you'll be there. Look forward to your coverage. Uh, a lot of intrigue there. Talk to you soon, man. Later, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, let's get into it with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon after getting our dose of recruiting information from Tyler Calvaristo. What's going on, gentlemen? Going good. It's a sunny Thursday in Happy Valley. I can't can't ask for much better weather right now. It really does feel like football season finally. 
I'm yeah. just going to try to bring the energy after Tyler Calvaruso because he's always so low key that I think we need to, <laughs> to boost everything a little bit after after him. Yeah, he got us going at a good pace here on this episode yeah, of the podcast. We're 20 we're 20 minutes in and and it's time to talk about Penn State versus Illinois. Before we get to the details of this game and again, we had Jeremy Warner breaking down Illinois for 15 20 minutes on our last episode. Circle back if you missed it. Really a good scope of of what the Fighting Illini have dealt with from some concerns and also some potential strengths they bring into the matchup. Uh but guys, we get our weekly look at practice on Wednesday and lately it has meant trying to get eyeballs on a few of these better Defenders, and there was a bit of a pivot in that coverage on Wednesday. We saw Daquan Hardy, Amin Vanover, and Koziah Izzard all participating on the practice field. And this is a change as well, all wearing their normal jerseys on the practice field. I asked James Franklin afterward if that meant that there's a positive indication that all three of them are returning to game action for the Big Ten opener. He wasn't ready to go down that road and talk about it, but uh, he did acknowledge that he's felt all three have handled the absences with maturity. He also noted that Koziah Izzard has been dealing with bumps and bruises. He did not note that with cornerback Daquan Hardy or defensive end Amin Vanover. So just laid that on the table, Mark. We were wondering uh, if these guys might resurface for Big Ten play. What does it mean if they are all active against Illinois? Yeah, surprise, surprise. They didn't play in the preseason games, as I like to call them now. And and here they are surfacing for the for the Big Ten opener. But I think it's I think Hardy uh, Izzard, I think, is really, really important because he gives you another big body inside. And, you know, I think Franklin, you could see he's getting a little sick of all the questions about them not being big enough inside because he's answered them 800,000 times. Uh, but he is a legit big, you know, big framed guy who can help them out uh, in that regard. I think I think they're OK inside, but adding another big body uh, is is a, uh, you know, is a positive uh, but to me, I look at Daquan Hardy, and as I look at the makeup of this defense, the things that he's able to do as a backup corner, as a slot corner, and the prowler package, I just think he's really valuable uh, to, 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 to this whole defense. And we've seen it the last couple years, whether it's covering guys, whether it's causing turnovers, whether it's sacking people. And I think when you go into a game like this with a mobile quarterback, you know, if you're going to go into that prowler package, you need a guy like a heat-seeking missile like Daquan Hardy in there. So I think getting him back, even though they're pretty loaded in that secondary, I just think his versatility really helps you. And then Amin Vanover, obviously, if he's able to play, just, you know, the, the rich just get richer at the end. We heard all preseason about how, how he was one of the overlooked guys. And I think if you look back to last year and you see some of the athletic plays he made for a big guy – you know, just another weapon that I think could help keep those other guys fresh for the for the fourth quarter. So if they do play, and we don't know for sure, but we've been to enough practices where you get a sense that, my, you know, my sense is that those guys will play. I don't have inside info on that, but you just kind of get a sense when you're at practice if guys are doing certain things, and they all looked playerish uh, to mm -hmm. me. So I will say this, Daniel and I will both be out there Tyler will be holding down the fort uh, at, at, the, at the headquarters uh, at his house. Uh, so we will be there, you know, watching these guys get off the bus, knock on wood that there's no traffic issues or whatever. And we'll definitely be there for, for the pregame notes. So this is going to be one to watch uh, where we're seeing what these guys are doing in warmups. And then obviously the participation chart coming out. You know, Daniel's always all over that. 
if these guys are doing anything in warmups, I think we can say they, they're going to play because they haven't yeah. been in pads for, for either of those pregame sessions the last couple of weeks. And Daniel, uh, Jalen Reed told you in postgame on Saturday night that that or Saturday afternoon last week that he was going to be ready to roll for game three. He exited early, ended up with only nine defensive snaps. He did make the most of them, had a sack uh, flashed out there. Uh, and, and he was, in fact, a full go as far as we could tell, full participant. Daquan Hardy, uh, just to, to kind of hammer home what Mark was saying about these guys looking like they were preparing to play. Daquan Hardy was the first man up in cornerback drills that I saw, again, wearing his normal uniform. And then Kazai Izzard was actually the first defensive tackle working through drills at that position. Obviously, a guy was fired the play. We had him as you know coming out of the preseason camp as a co-starter with Zane Durant. It, it's been Zane Durant, then Devon Ellis getting the starts through the first couple of weeks next to Akeem Beeman. So, Daniel, that's a lot of the arsenal coming together for Manny Diaz, and we haven't exactly seen him get all that exotic through 120 minutes of football. This shapes up to be maybe a much different look at this Nittany Lions defense than what we've seen thus far. I think getting these three guys back, as as you two really laid out, really unlocks a couple things for the defense. I think putting Kaziah Izzard into that middle of the defensive line, um, it, it adds something. It, it adds some bulk there. Um, and then, you know, getting Vanover back, I think that, you know, you add him into the rotation. You know, there's been a lot of excitement. We've heard a lot of good things about Zariah Fisher, um, and we've seen a lot of him out there. But Vanover is just built a little bit differently. Um, and by all accounts, uh, I talked to Adisa Isaac last night, and he said that Vanover you know, handled everything really well, um, is, you know, ready to get back, wants to get back. And uh, Isaac said that it should be soon. So we'll see if that means this weekend or next weekend or after that. Um, but then I think putting Daquan Hardy in that secondary unlocks uh, even more different personnel combinations that you can do. You know, having him in the slot, keeping Johnny Dixon on the outside, um, you know, putting Dixon and Hardy inside at the slot at both slots. I think you can really do a lot of different things there um, with the flexibility that you know, Hardy gives them and that the rest of those defensive backs have. So I think that these are guys that have played a lot of football for you over the past couple of years. Um, you know, and I think that getting this type of experience and talent back um, is never a bad thing. I think overall, I am really curious to watch Hardy this year. I think we spotlighted him a little bit in the preseason where he was someone who had a bit of a quiet uh, 2022 season. We saw his playing time fluctuate a little bit. So I was really curious to see what it would look like for him coming out in this, uh, I believe redshirt senior season, you know, really, really, you know, get getting after it. What does that look like? Um, so if these guys are back, uh, it's going to be exciting to see. And I think it just gives Manny Diaz even more pieces to work with. Sophomore cornerback Cam Miller told us this week that although he was not in game action, Daquan Hardy, his presence has been there. He has been who he is uh, these last couple of weeks. We see if that if that translates to the football field for the first time here in this 2023 season. And I just want to add on, on Izzard. I know that we, Mark mentioned it and Daniel mentioned that he's going to bring that size. He's going to bring that bulk, the frame that people are looking for, especially against a team like Illinois. But this guy also has some explosive tendencies. He can get upfield. Last year, he finished as the leader in the defensive tackle room uh, in tackles for loss, and he did not play in the month of September, and he tied for the position lead in sacks. So uh, curious to see if he comes out firing in this game. You know, the bumps and bruises, does that mean it's a little bit of a, a slow progression to getting back to, to a high volume of snaps, or is he ready to roll out there as one of the primary defensive tackles? One of the questions we have uh, for him, but I think Amin Vanover also, uh, Mark, you mentioned it, 
a lot of good reports on this guy. You can get buried with that trio they have at the position, but um, there's a reason that, that, that I think we heard so much about this dude, and I think he'd be starting on a lot of teams. So we'll get a chance to maybe see them on Saturday. These guys will have the coverage out in, in Illinois. Uh, Daniel, you had eyes on the wide receiver group for part of that practice period that we saw on Wednesday. Um, we saw one veteran return. Yeah, we'll call him a veteran. He played 13 games last year. Amari veteran, uh, Amari Evans. Um, there's this new nickname. Uh, <laughs> sh- showed up, caught a touchdown, uh, got a lot of run in the second half against Delaware, which is good to see after he was unavailable in week one. He was listed as questionable, didn't participate. And then Malik Mega, though, uh, sidelined in week two. Uh, was not in pads, ruled out before the match. So you lose a, a, a stalwart, obviously, uh, on special teams, but a guy who's also been getting reps on the outside. What did you make of what you saw from that collection of receivers uh, on Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, I, that position, I, I have some high expectations for them this weekend, which we'll get to a little bit later. But you know, we didn't see Malik Mega out there, which you know hurts your depth a little bit on the outside. Um, you know, this is the type of game where you know, I don't really know, you know, depending on how it goes. I'm not sure how deep Penn State would have to go on their depth chart. Um, you know, we didn't really see Mega in that West Virginia game at wide receiver until I think the later stages um, of that one. So obviously a big loss on special teams. Um, you know, that's one of your captains there. That's someone who uh, really has a core role um, at, uh, at an element that, you know, is an emphasis of this program. Um, but Omari Evans was was back out there again. Um, he looks good. Um, you know, it, whatever was wrong with him. It wasn't a super visible thing, um, but I think the fact that he did get in there um, against Delaware, got some really good run, was able to produce. Um, I think that that should help put him on a trajectory to you know, maybe be in the mix a little bit more um, this weekend. But you know, we'll see when that uh, availability report comes out. You know, if he is questionable yet again, um, and, and what that actually looks like when things kick off. And obviously keeping an eye on, on mega status on that list as well uh, this week. And, and Mark, a big thing with, with the road trip uh, in the Big Ten country is you've got to figure out a way to get down to 74 with that roster. You know, there's a certain amount of spots on the airplane uh, and, and you've got to make some decisions as a staff. And our depth chart went up here on a Thursday afternoon. There's a lot of guys who played a lot of football and some of them are going to all of a sudden get scaled back in a big way after the first couple of weeks. And some of them aren't going to be even on the sideline for this matchup. And we happen year to year, uh, and and you'll be putting Brendan Cam right on that front of the bus as guys walk off, and we'll start to check off the list of who actually made the trip. But what stands out to you about this Penn State team? Because we talked so much about depth, and you got to make some serious decisions as a staff about what brings you value on the road. Well, one thing I think is really good is that they were able to play so many walk-ons uh, against Delaware. Because if you're one of these guys who's grinding every single day and you don't make the 74 – I mean, that's got to be tough. And, you know, even if you're a scholarship guy and you don't make the 74, and there will be a bunch of scholarship guys who don't make the 74, I think it's pretty clear if you look at our depth chart who who won't be making it uh, or likely won't be making it, uh, you know, that that that's a tough thing. And, and my heart kind of goes out to those people, but the, the limits are the limits. And listen, it used to be worse. I mean, it just went up to 74, I think about four, four five years ago, whatever it was. But to me – you know, I think we know – I like looking to see which of the true freshmen are making the trip yeah. because it starts to tell you who they are projecting as, you know, kind of the higher-level players. I, I hope I'm phrasing that the right way. So, 
we figured that the three DBs, they're all green lights. So, so they're going to go. And Rojas is definitely going to go. And I would assume that Jameel Lyons is going to go because he's looking more and more like a green light to me. So I think the two key guys are going to be Jevin Williams and Anthony Donka. Uh, they may well be guys who they bring on the trip uh, but don't play unless there's an emergency. Knock on wood, there's no emergency. But we've seen this in the past. And I would not be surprised if um, if they bring a, a, the number three quarterback as well. You know, I think that's going to be something. That's something that they always do, and you need they that definitely guy. Definitely, will bring Smolik. Yeah, yeah, he'll be so, there. So those, I think, are the guys that you're you're really looking for. So Smolik is a guy who's going to redshirt again, barring anything crazy happening. But the two key guys to me are going to be Javen and and Donka and and Rappelier. Uh, I would not be surprised if he's on there, but I wouldn't be absolutely positive just because how many tight ends are you going to bring? Yeah, that would be at least four tight ends if you bring Rapelier. And I do wonder, beyond the three running backs that we know they'll bring in Singleton, Allen, and Trey Potts, uh, is it Tank Smith? Does one of these freshmen in play? You know, They're in scout team mode right now. And uh, just a few other guys that maybe you could consider on that bubble because of where they are with the program, not necessarily freshmen, but Makai Flowers, uh, and Tyrese Mills were the couple guys wearing their own uniforms, and that's a good sign wearing your own jersey number right now. Uh, special teams is a key pathway. And, and right. the defensive back unit, I think that's why you'll see a lot of defensive backs make this trip. Not only is it a talented group, but a lot of these guys are contributing on special teams. Uh, let's jump into some of the post-practice uh, interaction we had, and, and that started with, with James Franklin. Um, he did mention that Trey Potts has really solidified his status as, as the third running back, and he's more comfortable by the day. And He had some nice moments moments against Delaware late in that contest he's a guy that would think they'll feature more as the season goes on as 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 much as you can feature any other running back that's not named Nick Singleton and Katron Allen Tony Rojas also got some some uh some attention from James Franklin when his name was brought up saying that he continues to make strides special teams has been important for him but his defensive role will grow that's not really a surprise to anyone who's followed and by the way quickly Mark linebacker another area because if you look at that group and, and who has like their varsity jerseys on a practice it feels a little light to send out to illinois it just feels a little light to send out for a game like this so tamir robinson and kvion keys both checked in from her matchups in week two i don't think they would want to play these guys on the road if they can avoid it in illinois yeah. but i i just it, it looks a little light to me at linebacker maybe not to have some more reinforcements and so, so some more names to know there but you heard from Aiza Isaac going back to those practice interviews, Daniel. He's a guy that we had a couple weeks ago. They're putting him up in front of the microphone quite a bit here in, in 2023. We had him on the podcast right between preseason camp. What stood out from, from kind of what Adiza had to say? And he's kind of one of those voices for the defense, it feels like at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. You know, In addition to getting named a, a team captain uh, earlier this year, um, you know, they sent him out to Indianapolis for Big Ten media days. Uh, you know, he's been trotted out a couple different times. And, you know, it does seem like that he's finding you know, that he really is carving out uh, a leadership role within this team. Um, he was asked a little bit about that. And he said that, you know, when he was younger, it, it kind of started in the room being a leader to the other defensive ends. And then as time has gone on, it's it's really expanded out. Um, to the rest of the team but you know I ran through a couple different things with him um, you know I thought that some of his comments about Jameel Lyons were interesting um, you know he was asked you know kind of you know what what is he seeing behind the scenes and he said that he's seeing exactly what uh, you know we saw uh, on Saturday 
and Jameel Lyons is limited playing time, that that's the type of player he is on the practice field. Um, you know, he takes that over to the game. Uh, I think, you know, Adisa talked about how he is just very young and plays like he's young, but in a good way that there's a lot of freedom to him and that there's, there's no stress with how he approaches things. Um, I think for hearing that about a young player who is you know, getting put into a big time college football atmosphere um, and is still able to kind of retain that spirit. I think that that bodes really well for the mental makeup um, of someone. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Uh, and then something else that I thought was, was kind of cool to hear from Adisa was I, I asked him about JB Nelson um, because we've heard so much about, you know, JV Nelson's presence uh, and, you know, the kind of nastiness that he brings. And so, you know, what does that look like uh, to a, a defensive end? And, you know, Isaac said that it's contagious. Um, the quote is, it's really contagious when you see somebody move somebody else from point A to point B against their will. Um, and he said that, you know, the defensive ends, defensive linemen are on the, the sideline. And when they see JB Nelson, you know, finish a block or do something like that, or the offensive line setting a physical tone, that that's something that they can really feed off of um, and bring onto the field. So, you know, I think that Isaac always gives us, I think, some pretty good insight. Um, you know, he talks about you know, facing a mobile quarterback and Luke, Luke Altmeyer. Um, you know, they feel prepared for that. It's, you know, some discipline. Having that experience against Garrett Green in West Virginia in week one was helpful. Um, so it was just a overall, just a, a very solid chat with Adisa Isaac. There's a lot more quotes up uh, from him uh, in the thread on uh, Lions 24 7. Yeah, a weekly uh, updates thread from what we're hearing from coaches and players uh, week three over at lines247.com uh, for our VIP subscribers. You're not going to miss an, out on any of these conversations along the way. Um, I have a little bit more on J.B. Nelson in a moment, but Mark, you were over there with Curtis Jacobs, uh, third-year starter at linebacker. Shouldn't shortchange short him. He's not a team captain, but he's obviously a guy that can speak on behalf of this defense at this point. Uh, what did you feel about his confidence in that unit heading into conference play? Oh, he's really confident. I mean, uh, you know, one thing I asked him about, though, was if he remembered his first road game, because you have a lot of guys who are going to be going on the road for the first time. And I forgot it was that game at Indiana. And he was like, he, he is. such. Oh, a cool no, that game. at Indiana. <laughs> yeah, he's such a cool dude, though, because it's like he just laughed about it, was talking about it. And he said his first uh, his first play was on uh punt block and he said he got submarined and flipped over if you go back and look at the at it but uh you know for for him getting the message across that you just have to stay focused you know when you when you go into these road environments you know that's a real key but you know he he mentioned something else that that I, I think a lot of people on the board might be interested in hearing because he's a guy who's played Sam and Will this year so when, when they move, when, when they give uh, Carter a break at will, they'll move Jacobs over to Sam. And I think they're giving, they're, they're just easing Rojas in and they'll bring DeLuca in. And uh, he did that some, he said he did that last year. And, and I asked him, how difficult is that? How difficult is it to play multiple linebacker positions? And he said, it's extremely difficult that he first started doing it when Manny Diaz came in last year and his head was spinning. And it was it takes you a while because there there are different responsibilities and uh, it, it's just a very complicated thing. It, it, and why do I mention that? Because 
people watch the Delaware game and, and they see Tyler um, Ellsworth struggle and uh, they wonder, you know, what are you going to uh, give me one second. Elsden struggle, excuse me. And, and they wonder, why don't you just root, move uh, Rojas over there? Folks, it's not that easy. He's a true freshman. You, you don't slide somebody over to Mike for, from Will and just, just have him do it. They're, they're, they're taking it slow enough with him that they just want, want him to be confident enough that they're actually moving Jacobs over to help out at that position. So I just don't think it's as easy as doing that when you see a young player. Nobody's higher on Rojas than I am because you guys know you were taking him for all the things last week, and I'm going to pick him for a few things but he was already gone. But Curtis Jacobs, he could really explain that stuff in a way that, uh, you know, it just makes a lot of sense that it's not as easy as you might think. Even for a veteran player like him last year, it was very difficult to do. So is that something Rojas could do in the future? Sure, it probably is, but I would not expect anything like that to happen this year. I think Wiley would be, if they yes. if they were to go in a different direction, I think that's where they would go because the kid was playing uh, that much. I will say this: Elston just looks like he's not quite back all the way, and I'm hoping for his sake that he's able to kind of get there because he just looks like everything's just a, a little bit off for him. Like on that big run, he just didn't quite take the right angle, and you know you missed a spring. And this guy, he's, he's, he's a tough kid. He's a hard player. He's a good team leader. So hopefully he's able to bring it back together for his sake. But if not, I don't think Rojas would be the answer there. Everything you just said about Elsden is completely on point. But I think there's also a possibility that Penn State recruited over him. And that's just what really good football programs do. I mean, it's not like he, he's behind guys that are older than him. It's, it's a player that's younger than him and Kobe King that has had a surge in year three as a redshirt sophomore and is now starting. The guy chomping on his heels, it may seem, at, at Mike Linebacker elsewhere is Keon Wiley, who's a redshirt freshman, came in after him. Tony Rojas, of course, just got to campus. The other guy in the mix there at Mike is Tamir Robinson, who we're all very high on. Athletic, long, blue-chip talent. Um, this is a guy, Tyler Elson, who really had to earn it. It was a story that James Franklin loved telling. Uh, he came back to multiple camps during the summer before his senior year. Uh, if he had left the second one without an offer, he probably would have landed elsewhere. He may have been on that West Virginia team that came to town a couple weeks ago. But uh, Pry and, and the staff saw enough in that second go-round to, to put the offer out there. And, He's a guy that's now in his fourth year with the program, and, and you know he, he can be a valuable member of this roster. But when we're talking about significant snaps against Michigan and Ohio State, um, right now he may have been recruited over by, by linebackers that Manny Diaz is going to turn to, and that's just how it works at, at high-level college football. Uh, let's jump in uh, to the J.B. Nelson stuff just a little bit. I feel like we've talked about him a ton here on the podcast. Thing that Daniel pointed out to me, we hadn't really heard from J.B. himself. Uh, we've heard so, from so many other people since the start of August about how he's been you know, kicking ass on the field and he's nasty and he's the finisher and ultimately he emerged as a starter in week one. I just want to address why he wasn't a starter in week two. James Franklin, if you read between the lines, if you followed our coverage last week, you could tell what James Franklin was getting to in his post-game press conference last Saturday and saying that there was a player who missed some time, there was a flu, there was a sickness, so he took a step back and didn't start. That was J.B. Nelson. J.B. Nelson was supposed to meet with us last Wednesday after practice. We got to practice. He was not there, and then he was not available for the interview. And James Franklin, while discussing the interior offensive line, happened to mention to us that there was some kind of sickness being passed around the roster. So you put two and two together. 
Venga Ioane ends up being the starting left guard. And it was a conversation, it sounded like, between the coaching staff and these players where J.B. Nelson, I guess, had the self-awareness and also the, the interest of the team to say, hey, I missed a couple of important days of practice or, or some really important periods of practice. Venga should be the starter at left guard. And now whether it was entirely J.B. Nelson's decision to set the starting lineup, I'm not going to say that. But for him to chime in that way and then kind of uh, vocalize that to us after practice this Wednesday, I thought was really interesting. I expect to see J.B. Nelson back in that first team role when they play Illinois. I also expect Venga Ioane to continue playing at left guard and right guard. But, Daniel, I think this is the thing that people got to realize about J.B. Nelson. We hear about this mean dude, nasty dude. Then you see him in person. He's got he's wearing glasses, which you don't see a lot of football players meet you and, and wearing the eyeglasses. And he's also pretty gentle in the way he communicates. And he's and he's also not really a guy who wants to talk about himself. He was more interested in talking about Venga Yohane's performance than his rise up this depth chart. And so I learned a little bit more about J.B. Nelson. I learned he's one of those guys that when the whistle blows and he steps on the field, uh, something switches and it gets scary but it's not really that apparent when you're just toe-to-toe with him in a regular situation. Jamie Nelson is uh, kind of a, an unassuming guy about mm-hmm. as, I think, unassuming you can be at you know, like 6'5", 330 or whatever he's listed <laughs> at. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that he's someone that the Penn State fan base is going to learn um, more about as time goes on. Uh, you know, he committed to Penn State in the middle of that, you know, big run in July, 2021. So already he's getting overshadowed by someone like Nick Singleton, uh, you know, joining the class, some other big names that were in that run. um, And then coming in last year from Lackawanna and sitting behind a lot of guys for, for much of the season, you know, get keeping that red shirt. So I think that he has been one of those sort of out of sight, out of mind guys for a lot of people, someone who had to do a lot of work behind the scenes to, you know, put himself in this position, go through the strength and conditioning program. Um, and I think that you've really seen the, um, you know, really seen the the result of that. Um, I mean, we were talking to Ty Howell earlier today and someone asked Howell about being an offensive line lineman 10 years ago uh, when he was playing at Penn State versus now. Uh, and he talked a lot about the strength staff uh, and the, the work that goes into that with building these guys up, making them bigger, stronger, faster um, than they've ever been. So yeah, I think that J.B. Nelson, uh, you know, depending on how this season goes, he's someone you're going to hear a lot about. And I think he's also someone that ultimately can really serve as a, a poster child for development, you know, depending on you know how things go and if he reaches the ceiling that we've heard some people put out for him. You left out and, the and, best line of, of Ty Howell. Come <laughs> on, man. Go ahead, Tyler. To say it. Uh, yeah, Ty Howell said uh, he would not recruit himself to, to this current <laughs> Penn State team. He, he also said he was lucky that back then Penn State did not measure prospects to the campus. So a n- nice self, self-deprecation for Ty Howell, who gave us a real good lowdown on his tight end room, which is extremely talented. Uh, and that's over at lines247.com. Daniel did a nice job wrapping up those notes on our message board for VIP subscribers. Um, I, I do want to mention something else I learned about J.B. Nelson. He's only started playing the offensive line back in 2019, his senior year of high school. He was a defensive lineman before that. Uh, he was a tackle at, at that last year of high school in Pittsburgh. Ends up playing tackle for a couple seasons at Lackawanna. The first of those is completely obliterated, essentially, by COVID. Um, so, Donald, I mean, you know, he's here 
with Penn State sharing a starting lineup with two guys, Caden Wallace and Salim Wormley, who were already on the Penn State roster getting reps as freshmen before this guy ever played the offensive line position. So he's come a long way in a short period, and I think we're all pretty excited to see what that looks like over the next 10 games and beyond that because now we've heard it on the record publicly. I, I think we had a coach uh, mention it uh, this week or last week. I think it was Phil Troutwine actually said he's going to be an NFL guy. We heard that uh, before for, from, from the Lash building early on in preseason camp. So a lot of confidence in what he can accomplish here uh, in a bigger role for J.B. Nelson. Let's get into it with, with Illinois and Penn State and get to our predictions in just a second. But we've got to address the elephant in the room. There is some not-so-pleasant history in this series. 20-6 to six overall, Penn State has the advantage here. You think about their last trip uh, to Memorial Stadium, 63-24. to 24. I think Miles Sanders ran for 1,000 yards that night. Uh, it was an absolute blowout. Um, but we've got to go back to October of 2021 for a, just a moment. I know people really? are saying, do we really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now, I was not there to witness this in person. I had a days-old daughter at home. I thought it was going to be one of those somewhat cakewalk games that I could get away with. Baby in one room, me following the game. And of course, it turned into a nine overtime nightmare for the Nittany Lions in a 2018 loss. Mark, so much turnover in college football. A lot of this staff remains intact for Penn State. Notably, it's a new defensive coordinator, but that was Mike Yersich's first year. How much do you think they want to exercise some demons here? I think it's more about just asserting themselves as a dominant force in the Big Ten on Saturday. But I got to imagine it would feel pretty sweet to, to get one on Brett Bielema after what occurred in Beaver Stadium a couple of years ago. Yeah, first of all, give Bielema credit. I mean, he came up with an unbelievable game plan. I actually heard Aeneas Hawkins, uh, who's retired now but was on that team, on the they do he does a sh show with Keith Conlon called the Blue and White Player Show. And, and he said uh, they went into that game expecting to see one thing, and they saw something completely different, 12 and 13 personnel all over the place, and they hadn't seen it at all. And Penn State's defensive line was banged up, and they were unable to adjust. And, uh, you know, what does that tell you? You know, they're looking at it as they were physically dominated in that game, and, and, and they were. And no matter how many players or how many coaches are left from that game, there's one guy who's definitely left from that game, James Franklin. <laughs> And you had better believe that that message about being physically dominated uh, is going to get across and, you know, about maybe underestimating an opponent. I mean, Penn State was a significant favorite in that game and uh, clearly underestimated an opponent. And, and that ended up, you know, leading to a, a spiral, uh, you know, for, 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 for that team. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um you know, that's key. I did, uh, if Daniel wants to comment on this, great, but I did want to mention one other previous Penn State-Illinois game before we go on to, to this week's game. Go for it. <laughs> oh, sorry, Daniel, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I think everything Mark said about that 2021 game holds true. I mean, I was in a similar situation to Tyler where I was not in Beaver Stadium that game. That day I was uh, taking care of a personal thing, and, you know, I – wanted to be present. So I had all the, the notifications turned off on my phone. And uh, I think around like, I think it was like four 30 or five. I, you know, you come up for air, turn on the notifications and to see 20 to 18 with nine overtimes uh, as the score line was uh, pretty jarring, <laughs> jarring. Thing. You didn't experience that in real time with us, Daniel. I don't, I feel like our relationship just changed. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, I was know, taking care of myself. <laughs> hey, the intern and I were down on the field. I was getting ready to shoot a Brennan cam 
and oh my god i don't think i've ever moved that many because you had to go from it kept going from side to side to side to side to side you know i'm not as spry as i once was and i, I came out of that one a little gassed so uh that was tough but you know the one game i did want to mention at illinois uh, just because I have a story that I don't think a lot of people have heard, and I think they'll find it pretty interesting. Uh, 1994, I think a lot of people know what happened. Penn State, you know, shooting for a national title, playing extremely well, blowing everybody out, go out to Illinois, and for a lot of reasons, end up trailing 21 to nothing in the first quarter. They storm back, win the game 35 to what, – what the heck was it? Yeah, 35 to 31. It, it was just unbelievable, one of the most unbelievable games I've ever seen uh, to, to this day. I mean, may, I think it was the best game I've ever seen in person. It was it – was, you just could not believe – you thought this team was dead in the water, and then all these stars just started playing like out of their minds. I showed up for that game, and they didn't have a seat for me on press row. So they sent me in a they they put me in a back row and I, I'm sitting there and a guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, uh, "Hey, uh, young man, do you mind if I sit here?" Because I was relatively young at the time. I said, "No." I look over; it was Lou Henson, the Illinois all-time great Hall of Fame basketball coach. I watched that entire game with Lou Henson. Guys, he could not have been cooler. I was a nobody writer, like you know, a, a, a Z, not a zero, but a nobody, you know what I'm saying? I, I, and this guy at that time, he was only a few years removed from the flying Illini and he was still one of the most respected basketball coaches. And he sat with me for that whole game. When the game w was coming to an end, cause you couldn't get down on the field at the very end at that point, he was like, Hey Mark, it was great watching the game with you. And I was like, I, I can't even believe this. So sometimes when you go through, when you're in this business and you run into people who are famous and sometimes they could be jerks, but a lot of times they're just nice, normal people. And I'll never forget that from that game. So I thought people might appreciate that. It'll be interesting to see who's sitting next to me. Well, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a step down who's sitting next <laughs> to me this time around. I can assure you because he's sitting there drinking his uh, fizzy water. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're getting at least Daniel Gallen uh, alongside you at Illinois. And, and Daniel, let's go to you now. We talked about Manny Diaz maybe being able to open things up with, with a full personnel arsenal and also uh, start to mix up some looks. But Mike Yurcich, I have a feeling, is probably chomping at the bit to do some different things in this matchup. And one of the, the areas that we've discussed a lot here coming out of the Delaware matchup is for as successful as Drew Aller has been through the air and the high completion percentage and uh, the four touchdowns and, and the no interceptions. We haven't seen them go long distance. Mark has mentioned the stat 20 yards downfield or more only once through the air on a completion to Keandre Lambert Smith. It went for 72 yards on a touchdown. What do you think we're going to see from the offensive? Attack? This may spoil your prediction a little bit, but I know that your hopes are high. Yeah, I think that Penn State is, is in a position where it can potentially air things out a little bit. I think a big key for that is going to be how the interior of the offensive line holds up um, against those Illinois defensive tackles, uh, Johnny Newton and um, Keith Randolph, uh, two pretty high-level players. But if Drew Aller can have time, I mean, he's shown that he's patient, can go through his progressions, can keep his eyes downfield. And I think that this is a, an Illinois defense that can be had. I mean, they lost a, a top five pick uh, from last year in, in Devin Witherspoon. You know, Sidney Brown was a was a high pick. Those are two really, really talented 
guys that you just don't really turn around and, and replace um, at a program like Illinois. So uh, I, I think that Penn State will be able to you know, get some things to Keandre Lambert-Smith downfield. You know, do we finally see a big-time breakout game from Trey Wallace? You know, is this where Dante Cephas starts to really gain comfort after having two games uh, now with Penn State? You know, I, I think that you know Mike Yersich has you know kept you know it's really been taking what the opposing defenses have been giving them. I mean, West Virginia went cover zero on a young quarterback, so Penn State made them pay with you know a lot of a lot of quick stuff. Um, last year, you look last week, you look at Delaware really taking away um, you know those deep passes, and so you just get physical and run them over more or less. So. You know, I think that that shows that Penn State, you know, can be balanced and it shows that, you know, Mike Yersich is you know really in tune uh, with what opposing defenses are doing. But you know, I do think that when you talk about kind of out athleting teams, you know, and really letting your your playmakers make plays, letting your talent show, I think this is the type of game where you can really see that. And I think it could be through the passing game. Yeah, we'll learn a lot about Drew Aller this this year in the coming in the coming years. Um, the one thing I guess I'm wondering is is this the right time to really open the, on the road in the Big Ten? Do you, he's been so so good with ball security. Do you stick with what's worked? But I do think you'll see some new wrinkles there. And, and Mark, um, I think look, there's a lot of weapons. I mean, you you heard Daniel mention Cephas. You can throw him McLean. Um, Omari Evans is now on his way back to, to where you want him to be. And then the tight end room, you know. Could Theo Johnson erupt in a way that we haven't really seen from him? And there's a lot of weapons to talk about here, but don't you think it comes down to this offensive line once again reproving itself? I think we have so much carryover confidence from 2022 to their credit through two games here in 2023. They haven't really given us pause on that. That goes for the front line. The defense certainly, or the, the depth of this group certainly seemed to check out against Delaware. They didn't let things get sloppy. They didn't surrender a single sack while using all those different players. But here we go. You're going to face a, 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 it's a new defensive coordinator there. Uh, Johnny Newton's an absolute beast as a defensive tackle, maybe one of the best in the Big Ten, if not the country. But uh, I imagine Illinois is going to try to load you up, stop that run, and force Drew Aller to beat you. To me, this is a litmus test on the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and if you look at it, Illinois has been pretty bad against both the run and the pass. I mean, so it's kind of a, you know, pick your poison in a reverse sort of way. Uh, but I, I agree with Daniel in that. And I agree with you in the fact that, you know, Illinois knows who is established, who is firmly established, who has gotten it done in the Big Ten on this team. And that's the, that's those two running backs. And I think they're going to go out of their way. And that's why I think it would make sense to use the passing game to open up the running game, especially when you haven't showed, you haven't put a whole lot on tape for people to see. I mean, yeah, you may have people, you may have seen some trick plays and stuff, but I don't think we've seen, you know, half of what this passing game is capable of doing. So I do think that's going to be the key is to use that passing game to open up the running game. And I think they'll be able to re be really balanced at the end of the day. All right, guys, uh, I think we can jump into our predictions now. We posted them over at lines247.com uh, earlier in the week, but let's dive into them. And, and Mark, you're actually uh, actually we got players to watch. I, I'm jumping the gun now. I have the rundown that I put together and sent your way. Players to watch before predictions, and, and you can go in a lot of different directions. We covered a lot of them. Um, Mark, who are you landing on here, either side of the ball? 
So you're not making me go last on everything this week? I appreciate it after. I, I put you first for a reason, and I still hear about it. And, and you knew I would be complaining. <laughs> you know, I was so tempted to go offense on this, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with Chop Robinson. Uh, Luke Altmaier, uh, very dangerous quarterback, uh, but he was sacked six, six times against Kansas. And I, sh- should I say it now? You know, you're, you're not playing Kansas anymore. Uh, I think Penn State is going to be able to get to him. And uh, I, I look for a big game uh, from Chop. Hey, a key stat on Altmaier, uh, that team has 715 total yards, and he has 547 of them. So that's typically a quarterback's going to have its its combined passing and rushing yards. So typically a quarterback is going to be pretty high in that regard. But that is like crazy. Aller has 557 and the rest of the Penn State team has 462. So it's it's more of a balanced type thing. And I, I mentioned that because if you're in Manny Diaz's shoes, what is not a key to stopping this offense, but what is the key? You know, this kid took 10 hits against the Kansas team, and I would imagine that Penn State's going to look to to, 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 to give him, you know, a bit of a, a physical beating. Uh, hopefully nobody's hurt. We don't want to see that. But you know that being physical against this kind of quarterback is going to be one of the keys, and I think Chop would be the kind of guy who could lead that charge. It's a risky proposition for Illinois' offense that to rely that heavily on a transfer yeah. quarterback who's still relatively inexperienced in his college career. It seems like a recipe in this matchup against Penn State for some major potential takeaways uh, for the Nittany Lions and, and major issue, like tremendously bad situation right now, right offensive tackle uh, for Illinois based on what we've gathered. Uh, they're not sure if it's going to be the same right tackle who was out there against Kansas or they're going to throw someone out there. Uh, but it should be a potential feast kind of afternoon for this defensive end group if they are who we think they are. Daniel, uh, what do you got for us for player to watch on Penn State side? I'm going in a, a similar vein to Mark uh, when you know it's so easy to focus on the offense uh, with what we've seen from Penn State so far. But I'm going to go with Kobe King. Um, I think when you talk about Altmaier being a, a mobile quarterback, um, I think that you know it's going to be Kobe King's job there in the middle as that Mike linebacker, truly ID things pre-snap, you know, make sure everyone's in the right spot, have that communication uh, to help Penn State you know, maybe avoid some of the things that we saw Garrett Green do uh, in in Week One with his mobility. Um, I also think that this could be you know a good test for Kobe King when you talk about that sideline to sideline speed. Um, you know what type of player um, you know he can be in that, and I also think that you know if Brett Bielema does decide that he wants to maybe you know harken back to 2021 a little bit, you know, and try to be physical, try to pound Penn State. You know, King is going to be someone who is going to be in the crosshairs uh, in the middle of that defense. So, you know, I think that he has the potential to rack up. Uh, a lot of tackles uh, and you know really showcase some of the development that we've heard a lot about well you took my pick I had Kobe <laughs> King written down but I did have a plan B I always do uh, and and Harrison Wallace is where I'm going you mentioned him before and to me if they do get more vertical with the passing game how about the guy with the best vert in that wide receiver room he just I want to see him get some 50-50 opportunities I guess you don't want to see 50-50 maybe 75-20 with the way <laughs> Drew drops the dimes but you want to see Harrison Wallace be able to showcase that jump out of the gym uh, kind of ability. And, and that's a great thing to do along the sideline, one-on-one, flying down the field. You know, maybe you can rip off a slant route and race downfield with it. Uh, to this point, Harrison Wallace has 10 catches. I mentioned this uh, a, a couple episodes ago. 
because he had 19 catches all of last year on almost 400 snaps. He's got 10 catches now on fewer than 90 snaps, but 10 catches for 98 yards. And I think if you read that, uh, you maybe don't have a good sense of who Harrison Wells is as a receiver. He's not going to be, I mean, I guess he can be that possession type, but in my opinion, when you think of, of what Harrison Wallace can be in your mind's eye, what we knew about him as a top 24 seven prospect coming out of Alabama, what we've seen uh, some footage uh, and some stories from the practice field and from the basketball court, this is a highlight real kind of guy. So I think he's, he could put together one of those weird stat lines where it's four catches for 120 yards because of what he can do downfield. So I, I don't necessarily think 10 for 98 is indicative of who he is on the perimeter for Penn state. So maybe that pops today or on Saturday, I'll go Harrison Wallace uh, for my player to watch. And now it's prediction time. Mark, you're going last Daniel. You're going first. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with my, my bold prediction. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, Potentially, is this where you unleash Drew Aller? Is this where you know you you put it in the hands of your you know, sophomore quarterback in his first road Big Ten start? Um, you know, I don't think that that part of it is you know a huge factor based on you know what we've continued to hear about Aller and his poise and his approach. Um, so I think that he's going to have a big game. Um, my bold prediction: we're going to see a career high four touchdown passes from Aller. Um, his his previous career high was three in the season opener against West Virginia. Um, and I think in the process, we're going to see the tight ends more involved. Theo Johnson specifically, you know, he's had a bit of a quiet start to the season. So I think we'll get two touchdown passes to Theo Johnson, one to Tyler's guy, Trey Wallace, uh, and then the fourth to Dante Cephas. Um, I think that Cephas is starting to get a little more comfortable We've seen him both in the slot and on the outside. So he's someone that can be on the field in, in pretty much any situation. Um, so I think that this could be the time that we see a, a more comfortable Cephas and someone who is kind of what we thought he would be, um, you know, based on what we saw at Kent State. So I think with all of that uh, kind of powering your offense, I think Penn State wins this one 38 to 17. Very detailed bowl prediction. In fact, so detailed that if you nail that with all the right receivers and the right amount of touchdowns for who gets them, <laughs> you're hosting this show solo uh, on the post-game podcast. Okay, so live from uh, Illinois. Uh, I'll go next, and, and I'm going to keep it a little more succinct because I agree with everything you said about Aller. I think he will step up to this moment and be ready against this particular defense uh, in this setting. Uh, I'm just going to say he's going to win Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week for the second time in three games. I'll, I'll just keep it to that. I don't have the, the specifics of it and who the, who the balls are reaching, but I think he'll definitely get some balls in the end zone uh, to, to some targets. Uh, I don't I, I appreciate the hustle, though, Daniel, and, and I want to see if, how much of that turns out to be accurate on your end. I am going to go with a, uh, a nice spread for, for Penn State when you buy three touchdowns, 34-13. I believe Drew Aller will, will handle the heavy lifting for the offensive side of things. I do believe Illinois is going to try their hardest to, to try to at least stall Singleton, Allen, I think maybe they find some success there. I just don't think that sustains for an entire matchup. Penn State's going to stay fresh. They're going to rotate offensive linemen in again. A guy like Venga Ioane is going to be out there uh, helping you uh, direct some traffic along the way. And to me, a big difference from uh, two years ago versus now, 
Penn State just I don't think they felt all that comfortable going super deep at some key areas on the defensive side of the football. A lot of guys got loaded up and worn down against Illinois in Beaver Stadium in 2021. We'll probably see 10 defensive linemen before halftime hits out in Champaign. So I think that's a different part of the story. And I think the defense takes care of business, gets a couple second half takeaways because Luke Altmaier is trying to save the day. That's what he's got to be for them. And Penn State wins 34-13. Mark, round us out. Penn State has 13 offensive touchdowns this year. Only two have come from outside of the red zone. I think Penn State at least matches that going back to kind of what we were saying before about not really going downfield as much. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. Uh, so I think you're going to see at least two uh, touchdown passes from outside the red zone. Uh, one will be to our guy, Trey Wallace, who everybody seems to be high on, on a double move. So rather than just throwing something where he goes for the alley-oop. They're going to fake that, and he's going to go deep. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting extra specific there as well. And, you know, I know Daniel mentioned it kind of in his prediction or in, on the board that once you – if you didn't get a chance to see that Illinois-Kansas game, I mean, that was far more lopsided than the, than the final score indicated. And I think Altmaier really prevented that from being – an even more embarrassing loss. So I think Penn State's going to roll in this one 35 to 17, uh, a good road opener. You know, people may not think that sounds like a huge number, but, you know, the line, the last I looked was 14 and a half. So if you're able to get any kind of double digit win on the road in the Big Ten to start Big Ten play for the 30th straight year on the road, uh, I think that'll be uh, a, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a good win for Penn State. And I wanted to give one other shout out. I know you had, we, we had Jeremy Werner on. Illini Inquire, really one of the best sites on our network. He is an absolute professional and they do an unbelievable job. And it's not only because they beat us in subscription sales and certain promos <laughs> and stuff, but he is a hard worker. That whole staff is, and they do a great job. If you're on our site and a VIP member, one of the real bonuses is you can go to some of our other sister sites, and these are professional people who do a really nice job, as good as anybody covering their team. And I could tell you that Jeremy and Illini Inquire, nobody does a better job. No daily papers, nobody of covering that team and having the inside scoop. So if you want to know about them, go check it out. The beautiful thing about us being part of this beast of a network at 24-7 Sports is from here on out, all these big 10 matchups, we get to tap into some of the best reporting in the nation. You get them on the podcast. You get their content over at lines247.com. This morning, I published our weekly Thursday piece, Know the Foe. Uh, it was building off of some of the stuff that Jeremy had to say here on the podcast, but he sent us a bunch of words uh, answering five questions of ours about Illinois over at lines247.com. We'll do that on a weekly basis. You'll hear from an Iowa reporter next week for that whiteout matchup. But, fellas, uh, have safe travels on Friday. Uh, get settled in, and, and I'll talk to you on Saturday morning. we got a lot to look at, starting with that travel roster and who actually made the trip out there, and uh, we'll do it all together. It's going to be fun. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Great stuff from all of my Lions 24-7 colleagues and Mark and Daniel and Tyler Calvaruso before them who broke down the offensive line recruiting situation and evolving situation for the 2024 and 2025 cycles. Covered a lot of ground on this pregame podcast. Thank you to everyone for joining us. We'll be back on Saturday afternoon. Daniel will be at Memorial Stadium, hopefully in a quiet space. I will be here in our Happy Valley headquarters. We will pair up for a post-game podcast coming out of game three between Penn State, Illinois. It's a noon kickoff. 
Plenty of coverage between now and then coming your way at lines247.com. We'll have a bunch of pregame notes uh, Thursday into Friday and even into Saturday morning as we get ready for kickoff. Stepping aside for now, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.